Before we jump in, three things. Number one, Essentials of Emergency Medicine happening this month, May 25th through 27th. And actually, today's podcast, as you'll hear, was inspired by something that happened at a previous Essentials of Emergency Medicine. Register at EssentialsofEM.com and use the code ORMAN, my last name, O-R-M-A-N, for $100 off the reg. That translates to 20 fish cakes if you use fish cakes as your denomination. My college roommate, who was from a small town in Pennsylvania, used to call $5 bills fish cakes. So you might think of it as 20 fish cakes. And several of you have already taken advantage of that 20 fish cake situation with Essentials of EM. This is getting weird, so let's move on to the next thing. Thanks so much to all of you who donated to our World Bicycle Relief Fundraiser over the past few episodes. The site's still up if you want to check it out, link in the show notes. But Stimulus Podcast has matched $1,500. Match your donations. So together, 3000 bucks towards putting bikes in the field and really forever changing the trajectory of many lives. Thank you for that. Gratitude, much gratitude. And on the cycling note, we are sponsored today by Stages Cycling, makers of the SB20 Smart Bike, which is what I use. And in my experience, it is the best indoor trainer out there. And you know what? I've used a lot of them. I use mine for Zwift. I have ridden at least virtually with several of you. I'm talking talking right at you, Rans Tobers. Listen to this right now in your car, driving to work, because I know that's where you listen. And for the first time ever, you can get $100 off an SB20 with the code. You know what? You're never going to remember this code. Just copy it from the show notes. But SB20-100. See? It, it, nothing to remember about that. And for that code to work, you've got to use the Stimulus Podcast link to Stages Cycling. That's in the show notes as well. And then you enter that code at checkout. It's a little wonky. I know you got to use this link and you got to put in that code. But you know what isn't wonky? The bike. <laughs> Shazam! You know what? Drop the mic, start the show. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Orman, and you are listening to Stimulus, a podcast that deconstructs ideas and strategies to live and work with intent. Don't just suck it up, think differently. Here we go. had a conversation the other day that's really stuck with me and I think it gets to the core of what it takes to work in emergency medicine in or just frankly an emergency department and this was at the Essentials of Emergency Medicine conference one of the attendees he was a combat pilot also an EM doc been out of clinical practice for some time approached me at the end of the day and asked for advice on how to get back into clinical emergency medicine so we talked for about 20 minutes, we were trying to find the answer, thinking, oh, I go to this or that conference, take this course, listen to these podcasts, read these books, but neither one of us was satisfied. There was just something missing. And then he made this kind of a small comment that changed everything. I asked him, what skill does a fighter pilot lose when they've been out of the game for a while? Now, remember, he's a combat pilot. He said, it's not the flying, you know, taking off, landing, flying, those things you never forget. It's the tactical elements, targeting, radar tracking, incorporating multiple data points in combat, dogfighting. With dogfighting, he said, you're at your best the moment you land right after a dogfight. The next day, you're sharp as hell. A week later, a little less sharp. A month later, even less. And that was it. The dogfighting skill is 
a, if not the critical skill in emergency medicine, managing the staggering complexity of a single ED shift. Now, to get back in the game, you can study up on all the facts that you want, but to really sharpen your ED dogfighting skills, aside from some kind of incredible simulation that incorporates an entire day of work, you need to do the job. That's the training you need. Think about this. Think about when you come back from a long vacation. You get back to work, to this job you've been doing for years, maybe you've been doing it for decades, and on your first shift or even your first couple of shifts, you just kind of feel rusty, you feel out of practice. Practicing emergency medicine is not like riding a bike. Here's what I mean. I'm going to tell you a story about an ED doc named Marty. That's actually his first name. I'll keep out his last name. So Marty was a leading researcher in his field. He was a full professor in emergency medicine. He was a director of the local poison center. I guarantee you that you use the results of Marty's research in your current clinical practice. So he took a few years off to work in Africa. And when he decided he wanted to return to clinical work, he became keenly aware, immediately aware that he had become too rusty, too rusty to practice safely on his own. So he negotiated a situation where he could work as an EM resident to build his skill set that would allow him to practice independently again. And he worked as a true resident right alongside the other house staff. The situation Marty had fallen victim to is what psychologists refer to as skill decay. None of us are immune to it, regardless of how much experience we have. And what Marty realized seemingly intuitively and has been corroborated by many psychology researchers is that motor skills, riding a bike, decay much more slowly than cognitive skills, such as working in the emergency department. And emergency medicine is a cognitively demanding pursuit. If you think about it, effective clinical practice requires an enormous and varied base of knowledge integrated with a wide array of habits, behaviors, communication strategies that allow us to evaluate and manage large numbers of patients seemingly simultaneously. In other words, our brains need to be firing on all cylinders at all times to do the job well. You see one patient at a time with a straightforward complaint like belly pain, headache, it's not really where we run into difficulty. You know, you can be rusty and still do that fine. It's a situation of having to manage a crashing infant, an inpatient lawyer who's demanding antibiotics for a cough, and then across the hall, a weak and dizzy elderly patient who may have something terribly wrong with them, or maybe nothing at all. And then across the other hall, a belligerent, intoxicated patient who's threatening staff. And then on the phone, you've got a consultant who's refusing to help a patient. This is all happening at the same time. And it's just 15 minutes into your shift. And oh, by the way, you're already behind on your charts too. We have to be efficient at problem solving and addressing all of these situations rapidly while also being able to task switch quickly from one to the next, all while making sure that we don't miss anything dangerous. Easy, right? No, it's not easy. It's not easy. And if you take much of a break in your practice at all, you get rusty pretty quickly. And this becomes a real challenge. So I want to break down some of the brain calisthenics of what's happening here and how to effectively combat it, or at least a strategy to combat skill decay. So I asked ED doc, Josh Russell, he's one of the smartest guys, one of the most well-read guys I know, especially on making sense of complex systems. I asked Josh to explain. Allow me to get a little bit nerdy for a moment and discuss the situation of skill decay within the context of what's called cognitive load theory. To unpack this, 
cognitive load theory says that we essentially have a limited amount of processing bandwidth at any given moment. Cognitive psychologists call this our working memory. And you can think of this as something very similar to the RAM of your computer. Our working memory defines the maximum amount of tasks that we can simultaneously process, and it is actually fairly limited. Most research suggests that really only five to nine tasks can be effectively processed by our working memory at any given time. Cognitive load theory also suggests that when we exceed our working memory's capacity and run out of bandwidth, our performance immediately and obviously suffers. This is something called cognitive overload. We've all been there. A consultant is arguing with us. A nurse is asking us to put in another order to switch Haldol from IV to IM. A patient is screaming in pain or retching, vomiting in the room right across the hall. And our ability to process anything completely disintegrates. So cognitive overload is definitely not a good place to be in when we're working on shift. Cognitive load theory also tells us that with increasing practice and experience, any given task will take up less of our working memory's overall capacity. So basically, when we are working clinically often, intellectually processing any of the given situations which occur will take up less of our overall cognitive bandwidth than if we are out of practice. And this is the basis of skill decay. We run into a problem when we become cognitively overloaded much more easily when we're out of practice, and consequently, we cannot perform the job effectively and safely. So then the next obvious question becomes, how do we combat this situation? Well, the most surefire tactic is to simply work clinically as often as is necessary to prevent skill decay. So how often is this? The answer is, it depends. And I don't think that there is a universal answer for everyone. For example, I have some colleagues that work three to four shifts per month and tell me they feel totally comfortable. And yet other docs I work with tell me that if they do anything less than 10 shifts per month, they feel totally off their game. So basically, it seems that every clinician needs to answer this question for themselves. But what about for providers who have to take a longer period of time off for medical reasons, or they're having a baby, if they're in the military, they get deployed, whatever the case may be. This is a trickier question to answer because competence with cognitive tasks, which we've discussed, and which is the majority of our job, reliably will decay within several months. Certainly listening to podcasts and reading, going to conferences, all of these things can help slow skill decay because having the requisite medical knowledge is actually a relatively small part of our job. In other words, how we think is much more important than what we know. Psychologists have shown that simulation of tasks can serve as a meaningful way of maintaining skills during a period of non-use. This is something they call refresher intervention. And many of us do this already with procedures that we don't perform frequently like surgical airways. However, a clinical emergency medicine is much more complex and unpredictable than any one simulation can recreate with fidelity. And so it's fairly impractical to imagine creating a simulation that could replicate all of the cognitive tasks which we need to do to be able to concurrently manage and practice effectively. So then, where are we left? Well, I think back to Marty. I think returning to a proctor position in essentially the same role as a resident is the most reliable way to rebuild necessary cognitive faculties we need to be an effective emergency medicine practitioner. To be sure, though, it did take a fair amount of pride swallowing on Marty's part to do this. But I think there was a lot of wisdom in his approach as well to overcoming skill decay without compromising the well-being of his patients. 
there's all sorts of paths and methods and theories on how to maintain or regain skills that decay. In Marty's case, you could think about proctoring as buffered or a protected practice environment where you can ease back into clinical work and not be responsible for running the whole department. Start slow, build the foundation, and once again, be an ace dogfighter. And being an ace dogfighter is about how you think, not just what you know. From a personal perspective, I experience skill decay from time to time because of my work structure. I work locums in six different emergency departments, and one of them is in a different state. I'm actually flying there tomorrow to work a string of shifts. And there's times when it will be several weeks between a cluster of shifts. And when I go back, I feel like there's a little bit of shine taken off the cognitive polish. And here's just what I do, what I've found works, because just going back in, feeling rusty, ah, it's not so good for me, and it kind of jams up the department. So what I found works for me is before I go back, I go through a couple of visualizations. The first thing is I visualize resuscitations in the particular resuscitation bay that I'll be working in. And the first thing I do is work through, walk through in my mind, complex procedures, intubation, crike chest tube, central lines, et cetera. So that's step one. The next thing I do is I visualize an actual resuscitation from the point of the patient coming in to me receiving report from the paramedics, going through the primary, secondary survey, managing the medications, speaking with consultants. It's pretty detailed. Going through the whole process, even working with the EMR, just to get my mind back in the rhythm. Then after that, I walk through in my mind, visualize straightforward patients, lacerations, fractures, headaches, and how am I going to juggle all of that? And I found that doing all that kind of helps soften the blow when I re-enter clinical practice with a few weeks off. And that happens pretty regularly. And the shifts just kind of come in chunks. And so there's just a little bit of skill decay enough during that time that I definitely feel it if I don't prepare. Wow. You know, I recorded this podcast a couple of years ago and I'll tell you, my work situation has changed quite a bit since then. It's not traveling around state to state and hospital to hospital, working a bunch of clinical shifts in chunks. It's now full-time medical education. And actually, I'll, I'll tell you, since I made this podcast, I actually had many more experiences and experience with skill decay, which we'll get to in future episodes. But today in this conversation, we covered just a few aspects of skill decay. We talked about dogfighting, cognitive load theory, how to get back into the flow when you've been out of it for a while. And, you know, I'm really curious as to your thoughts and your practices, what you've experienced, because this is a time where we can all teach each other. There's not any set paradigm that is the standard of how to go about this stuff. I'd love to hear what you've got to say and continue this conversation on the Stimulus website at stimuluspodcast.com. There you can find the complete show notes for this and any other episode. You can register for our newsletter, which I guarantee you is not spammy, comes out on a very occasional and irregular basis. You can subscribe to Stimulus in any podcatcher out there. Well, I don't know. Any of the ones that I've seen so far, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. And if it happens to be iTunes, they're on a review and rating. I read all the reviews and more importantly, so do potential guests. Actually, you know what? If you can review it and give it some stars, some thumbs up, throw it down wherever you listen to it. Never hurts. That is it for now, my friends. Until the next time, be well and keep on rocking.